1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. Follow along with me. Verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as man, as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which churches of God which are in Judah in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always, so as, uh, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. I want to give you a reminder this church in Thessalonica was established on Paul's second missionary journey. And these are brand new baby believers. Paul leaves Thessalonica and goes to Athens. Then he makes his way to Corinth. And from Corinth, he writes this letter to these brand new believers. And we've been seeing what Paul has been looking back in his encouragement he looked back on their conduct, their, their faith, their hope, and their love, and he was praising God for that, how they became imitators of Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ and became examples to everybody in Macedonia and Achaia, how they turned from idols to the true and living God. And then in last week, we looked at how there was these false accusations, and many of us have been falsely accused, possibly by our own siblings, possibly by friends, maybe a classmates. Paul was being falsely accused that his motives, his method, and his message were all wrong. And so he defends himself. He goes, no, I have the heart of a pastor. And the heart of a pastor is seen by delivering the gospel faithfully without being scared of who's listening, without being scared of offending people, because the gospel is offensive. It tells you that you are a sinner, that you need to be saved from yourself. And Paul realized that. And the gospel has the power to change and transform lives. And it transforms Paul's life. And he also used the gospel to transform the Thessalonian people there. And they became believers. So Paul was a faithful steward giving them the gospel that God had given to him. He was also like a gentle mother. As a gentle mother nurses its child, her child, he says, I've nursed you. You were baby believers and I fed you the milk of God's word. And as a concerned father, I exhorted you, I comforted you, and I charged you, every single one of you. And then he says, I encourage you to walk. And as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you go from a baby eating milk to then all of a sudden walking and learning how to walk and step and exercising your faith. And these believers were exercising their faith because they were fed properly and they walked properly. But as many of us know, and especially in your age, when you grow, there's pain involved, correct? We call that growing pains. Raise your hand if you've experienced it. Every single one of us have, right? 
All of a sudden you go to bed and your legs are hurting and they're just kind of like they're sore. You're like, I did nothing today. What's going on? Your body is growing. And that's the title of this message, Growing Pains. These Thessalonian believers had growing pains, but their growing pains were different. They were suffering and they also had much affliction. We see in chapter 1, verse 6. Warren Wearsby says, Churches go do experience this growing pain as they seek to win the lost and glorify the Lord. As you desire to seek the lost and glorify Jesus, you will experience growing pains too. But our growing pains might look different from the Thessalonian believers. I don't know if any of us has really been persecuted for our faith. Maybe at school, maybe some kids cuss at you or whatever. Maybe they chewed you out for bringing a Bible out. Like, oh, you're dumb. What a dumb Christian you are. Maybe you've experienced a little taste of that. But I know a lot of us experience problems, right? We all have different family lives going on. And whether it's persecution, whether it's problems, whether it's our faith being tested, God is using those things. Howard Hendricks, he said this, problems are God's chisel to shape the soul. So God is shaping your soul into the image of Christ. And the way he does that, he's, he takes a chisel, our problems, and he starts hammering away at the parts of our hearts that need to be cut off. Things that are wicked and evil that need to be changed. Now, there are three things in this passage that give us comfort in suffering and in, and in the problems of life as we go through these growing pains, which are uncomfortable but are necessary. And it's God's word, God's people, and the glory of God. So look at, let's look at verse, or the first point, God's word. In verse 13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you welcomed it. Paul was thanking the Lord and praising God because as they delivered the gospel message, they were able to receive it. And it worked powerfully in their lives. And they were rejoicing in this fact. And the way that we receive things, and the way that we receive God's word is through our eyes and our ears. Those are our receivers, correct? If you don't have those, it's kind of hard to communicate. And so it's through our eyes and our ears that we are able to receive. Now, what do you guys think? Is there anything that hinders us from receiving God's word? Is there anything that can prevent us from taking God's word in? Anybody? Work. Work, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like mentally or actually like... Uh... I think either or. So how does work hinder us from receiving God's word? Uh, maybe if we're too busy to receive it at the time. Too busy. Or if we're minds are just simply incapable of understanding such words that are used. So I like your, the busy. Did you guys know there's an acronym for busy? Being under Satan's yoke. When we are so busy that we can't get into God's word and we can't make time for the Lord, Satan's like, yes, I got them busy and now they aren't able to pay attention. That can prevent us from receiving God's word or even some hard words, definitely, because the Bible is written thousands of years ago. 
So it's kind of hard to grasp some of the concepts that are in here. And that's why we need to be taught the word of a God. Blake. Technology. Technology. That is, it distracts us, right? We want to be on our phones. And that stimulates our brain more than just black and white words on a page. It feels kind of like lifeless and boring, but it's not. It's active and powerful. Friends. Friends. Friends can hinder us. Absolutely. I think one thing that can hinder us also is our hearts. See, it's not about the eyes and ears. It's actually your heart receives God's word and takes it in. And this is what James chapter 1, verse 21 says. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, uh, the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has power to save your soul. In other words, all the garbage that you guys, all of us, should I just say, experience on an average day, that clogs up our receivers. It clogs up our eyes. It clogs up our ears and prevents us from hearing properly and seeing properly. You and I can't live one day without getting the world's garbage thrown into our face, thrown into our eyes. Whether it's through the music, whether it's through billboards on the freeway, whether it's through ads on Instagram, and if you're on Instagram or any social media and your page is public, you've already had possible predators come after you. And people message you. It's garbage. That stuff bothers me. That stuff affects us receiving God's word. So did you know you and I have a responsibility before we get into a Bible study? We've got to say, Lord, cleanse me. Help me to receive your word. We have a responsibility during the Bible study and after the Bible study to listen and then to act on those things. Also, how you and I view the Bible, this book here, affects how we receive it. If you think this is just boring and it's just information, then you're not going to pay attention. If you think you're wasting your time here, then you're actually not receiving what is being said. How do you view God's word? Is it just a historical book? Or is it truth for every person, believers and non-believers? Is it the word of God that's powerful and sharp? How do you view the Bible? That is a question that you have to ask yourself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says, For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, to joint and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word can pierce through your heart like nothing else can. The hardest of hearts. And no other book in all of history is alive like this one. So you might think it's boring. You might have a hard time reading. And to be honest, let's be real. This is intimidating. If you're a bad reader like me and you skip to the end and you see like, oh my gosh, this is this 900-page book. I do not want to read a 900-page book. Like, I won't even read Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, those thick books. Like, oh, please. I can't do that. I'm a terrible reader. <coughs> those books are nothing compared to this book. This book is alive, and it's true. Now, 
I want to warn you. Those that have grown up in church, here's a warning for you. You and I are going to be judged for what we hear and how we hear it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. So listen, we can't say when we stand before God's throne, Lord, I never knew I was a sinner. He's going to go, oh, really? Let's look at your timeline. <laughs> Bring up that point and says, you heard it here. But you didn't receive it. And you heard it here also. And you heard it here because God is so loving and so good, he doesn't want any of you to perish. So he's going to give you multiple chances to repent and come to the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's how good he is. Because he wants you more than you want him or I want him. But look at the last part. To you who hear, more will be given. That means if you listen to God and you hear him, and you act on those things that he's telling you to do, he's going to speak to you more and more and more and more. That's a promise. More, those who hear, more will be given. And I could testify of that, that the more I'm obedient to the Lord, the more he speaks to me. And he shows me the next thing. Once I'm obedient to that one, he shows me the next one. Luke 8, 18 says, Take heed how you hear. Not only what you hear, but how you hear. How are you listening? Are you listening with a half heart or a hard heart? See, it was interesting. We had a speaker out a while back, and we perceive things differently. And our perceptions can be wrong. For instance, this lady who came out to speak said that she was counseling this one girl, and this one girl had an issue with her dad. And she asked her questions, met with her time and time and again, and it boiled down to this. The girl said, my dad has never been to any of my baseball games. And that's why she was upset with her dad. And she goes, okay, what games did he miss? And she actually asked the dad, and the dad said, I missed one game. And she interpreted that as her dad missing all of her games. She, her perception was wrong. We hear things sometimes and we read into it. Did you hear what she said or did you hear what he said? We read into it. How are you hearing things is important. Don't read into something. If you need clarification, ask questions. Follow up. What we hear and how we hear, we're going to be judged for. Now, he says you received it and you welcomed it. What is the difference between receiving and welcoming? Can anybody tell me? What's the difference between receiving and welcoming? Welcome is someone you want your position your family and your house. When you receive it, you're giving I like that. The idea of welcoming somebody, if all of a sudden you hear a knock at the door and you didn't know who was coming over, and you open it up, it's family. You're like, hey, come on in. You guys want something to drink? And you welcome them in pleasantly. Receiving, you just kind of, you take something. 
What? Okay. You can be told something, but you're not truly listening. How many of you have ever received a present that you did not want to receive? And all of a sudden, you receive it, and you're like, oh, thanks, Grandma. And you're smiling, and you give her a hug. And you look at your mom or dad, you're like, oh, Lord, help us. Like, and then afterwards, in the car, you're like, Mom, can we please return this? I'm not going to wear this shirt that Grandma bought me. Um, and then the next Christmas comes around. She goes, hey, are you going to wear the shirt? You're like, oh, I grew out of it or something. We all have, we receive those gifts, but we don't welcome them, right? We kind of like, oh, man, I don't really want this. Are we welcoming God's word with open hands and open hearts and saying, come on in? Because every time God's word is spoken, God's word is knocking on your heart. And some of us treat God's word like a salesman. Yesterday, actually, as I was studying for today's message, at my house, my parents were gone. All of a sudden, I hear this knock on the door. Who's at the door? And I go, and it's Jehovah Witnesses. And I'm thinking, oh, dang it. (laughs) And they're like, hey, do you know any of your neighbors that speak Spanish? I was like, first of all, I'm offended. You don't want to speak to me because I can't speak Spanish? All right, that's cool. And I asked them, I, was, I kind of asked them, like, why are you asking for Spanish? They're like, oh, we're from a Spanish. It's like, okay, but you really didn't kind of welcome me. They weren't really welcoming and asking me. And so um, I knew they were Jehovah Witnesses. And I was like, well, I'm a Christian. Like, oh, we are too. And I was like, well, I'm not going to recommend my neighbors to any of you because I disagree on certain issues that you believe. And like, we're not here to get in an argument. And I was like, okay, whatever. But I don't agree with a lot of what they have to believe. They believe, they don't celebrate life. They don't celebrate birthdays. Did you know that? Jehovah Witnesses are not allowed to celebrate their birthdays. They aren't allowed to celebrate anything. Not Christmas, no holidays. Our God wrote the Bible and he wanted the Jews to celebrate. He wants us to have a good time. When you take that out, you're taking a part of God out. He wants us to be joyful and to celebrate. There's a lot of things I disagree with their doctrine on. They aren't Christians. They're a cult. And I wouldn't label them a Christian, and I would never recommend any of my neighbors. Even if I hated them, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> okay? Um, so, but receiving and welcoming. What are we doing with God's word? He says, you welcomed it, which uh, effectively worked in you who believe. God's word not only works, it works effectively. Check that out. But our problem is we don't give God's word time to work. Question. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm actually talking to them, but they have a different Bible. They've added things to. And God says, don't trifle with my word. They are actually really blind. And sometimes what happens with a Jehovah Witness is the person that's talking usually is the new person. And the older person's behind them going to mentor them after that conversation is over. And so I think we should take every opportunity to share God's gospel and the word with people, to shine light into the darkness, especially because I don't want anybody to go to hell. Um, And sometimes maybe your schedule can permit it. Sometimes it can't. Uh, there was one time other Jehovah Witnesses came to my house, and uh, I talked to them for a good chunk of time, and we disagreed on certain things. And they're like, all right, we're going to come back later. They came back a couple times, and my dad answered, and he goes, Josh, you want to talk to him? I was like, I don't want to talk to him right now. I'm busy. Um, and that's maybe my flesh getting in the way. I'm human, because sometimes 
you guys want to talk to everybody that come in contact with you? No. Okay. So, but thank you for asking that. We should want to share the gospel with them and other people, no matter who they are. But it takes time to dismantle lies, especially if people believe in them and they believe that they are true. So it takes a while, like chiseling those lies away, and it takes time. And that's why you want to give somebody a rock. How many of you guys have ever had a rock in your shoe? And it bothers you, and you have to take off your shoe and get rid of that rock. That's what you want to do with someone's mind. You want to give them a question, a truth, God's word, because God's word never goes away void. Put it in their mind and allow it to bother them. Allow them to get agitated by that, so much so that they start wondering and start questioning. And so we can talk more about that afterwards, okay? So God's word works effectively. When you speak it, when you memorize it, when you study it, it works effectively. But are we giving God's word time in our life? For instance, I just got glasses. I'm getting used to them. Wow, now everyone's blurry. I just took them off. Um, I've had them since Friday, and I'm still getting adjusted to them. They say it might take two weeks for your eyes to get adjusted. Are we giving God's word time to work in our lives? You might read it once, and you don't hear or feel a change. Really? And you're giving up that quickly? Get into it daily. Ask God to meet you and speak with you because he wants to communicate with you more than you want to communicate with him. That's the truth. But notice, I want you to check out the word believe. It works effectively in those who believe. So if you don't believe this here, this Bible, it's not going to work effectively. If you're doubting it and you think there's so many faults and failures in this thing because man wrote it, but God inspired it, then you're not going to, it's not going to work effectively in you. You have to believe it. You have to trust it. See, God's word brings comfort to our lives when we read it. God's, as Christians, we are to live off of promises of God and not explanations. Sometimes we want the why, right? God, why is this happening? God might not tell you the why. He says he'll give you a promise and he wants us to live off of the promises and not explanations. So number two, God's people. As we suffer, we need God's people, Bible-believing believers around us who help us bear the load of suffering. Look at verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. What did they become imitators of? They became imitators in the way they suffered. Just as those churches were suffering, they were suffering too. Because the Bible says all those who want to live a godly life are going to suffer. Now, you know what's worse than suffering? Suffering alone. When you are by yourself and no one is able to help bear that burden, when you can't open up with somebody or you have trust issues, and you're suffering alone, that's where the enemy wants you. Jesus doesn't want you there. Because when the enemy can isolate you, that's his realm. And he can whisper his lies into your heart and into your mind. Check it out. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we have this prophet Elijah who was used mightily by God. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed a, a woman's son back to life. 
He prayed and fire came down and consumed the altar and stone itself. But one woman, Jezebel, this evil, wicked woman, never name your kids Jezebel, not even your dog, okay? <laughs> this woman, Jezebel, says, I'm going to have your head on a silver platter by tomorrow. And because of that one threat, he ran away like a little dog with his tail between his legs, 120 miles. He pushed his servant out of his life and went into the wilderness, isolation. And that's where he got depressed and discouraged. And the enemy was working on him. But God gently led him back to a place where he could be used. Suffering alone is not God's heart's. See, knowing that other believers have suffered and have gone through the same things as we have brings a great deal of comfort. Warren Wiersbe said, a lonely saint is, a vulnerable, is vulnerable to attacks of Satan. I don't want you guys to be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. I want you to be encouraged and strengthened and say, hey, you can share your problems with any of the leaders because we want to walk with you through those areas of life that are difficult and hard. This is a battle and we need each other. He says, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, these Jewish uh, leaders. Paul says something very thought-provoking in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, would any of you consider suffering a privilege? I wouldn't. I don't think anybody would consider suffering a privilege. But Paul did. Why? Why did Paul consider suffering a privilege as a believer? Well, because of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12. Speaking about persecution, he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, you should be glad when you get experienced persecution. Because if they, if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. The Bible is clear with that. And the, the apostles lift this out. Check us out. Acts 5, 21 through, through 41 through 21. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. To me, that is powerful. They literally got out of prison and said, Thank you, Jesus for allowing us to suffer because they were being conformed into the image of Christ. And not only that, they didn't care about people's opinions. They delivered the truth to people. And this is, I think, the number one reason we're called to suffer. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I bet you all of us in this room want to know the power of his resurrection, right? We want to experience the power of God in our life, but it doesn't come without the suffering as well. Because Jesus first endured the cross and was crucified, died and was buried, and then rose from the grave. 
We experience Christ's power when we are weak. Paul had this thorn in the side. We don't know what the thorn was, but it was this something that caused him pain and humbled him. And God says, I'm not taking that away because when you are weak, I am strong. Someone once said, there's only three areas in the Christian life. You're either, you're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. Where are you at? And which of those areas? Paul says, those Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, Paul is stating a fact here, but also an encouragement, because knowing that Jesus suffers helps us not be surprised and can even comfort us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, For considered him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own soul. Listen, people who suffer start to isolate themselves and start analyzing their own problems, and they get a distorted view of their own problems. Get your eyes off of the problems and onto Jesus. It says, consider him. Don't consider your problems. Don't think about, don't behold. He says, consider him who endured hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged. God doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants you to know that in the midst of suffering, joy is available. His presence is available. His fellowship is available. He is there with you, and you can enjoy him in those areas of pain, sometimes more sweetly than the areas of rejoicing. Jesus gave us two examples in Scripture, first of serving in John 13, and second, how to suffer in 1 Peter 2, 21. He says, for God has called you to do good, even if it means to suffer, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Paul said they persecuted us, and yet they did not please God and were contrary to all men. If you have your own Bible, that last phrase, contrary to all men, I like what the NLT translation puts it. They failed to please God and work against all humanity. Please understand something for a moment. If you guys would sit up and just pay attention. People are going to attack you for believing in the truth. Because you say things are pretty much black and white. Because you say that Certain things are a sin and do not please God. And sin sends people to hell. But by you going against the flow and sharing the gospel, you're, you're caring for all of humanity. You know what Paul is saying here? He says, those who are attacking you for your faith, those who are persecuting and trying to prevent people from sharing the gospel, hate all humanity. You know why? Because by them preventing us from sharing the gospel, they're dooming humanity to hell because they can't hear the truth. So when we share the gospel, we care for all of humanity. When people try to silence us, try to censor Christians and truth being spoken about Jesus Christ specifically, they hate the rest of humanity because they do not want to see them in heaven. That's what he's basically saying here. In verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish uh, people, that they should be saved. Also filling up the measure of their sins. Did you know that sin can be filled up? 
There's a time where God says enough is enough. And the logic here is found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, where it says the Amorite sin has not, met, has not been complete. Jesus, or God, waited 400 years to punish the Amorites when he sent his people into the land and the Canaanites and Joshua. He waited 400 years. God is patient. There is a time where the, the, the cup of sin is going to be filled. And he goes, all right, enough is enough. I've given them chances to repent, and I'm going to pour out my wrath on them now. That's what the tribulation is all about. The book of 1 Thessalonians is how we will be delivered from that. See, in the tribulation, there, the seven-year tribulation is when God pours out his wrath. The first three and a half years is peace. The last three and a half years is hell on earth. Demons being released to torment people. People want to commit suicide and they can't. People are, are literally screaming. And God only allows it to happen for three years because it is unbearable, the wrath of God. But notice at the end of verse 16, the wrath of God has come, or the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. When was the last time you used the word uttermost? Oh, that bothers me to the uttermost. <laughs> I've never used that word in a sentence. Has anybody? For an essay? All right, that's different though. That's just to get extra points. <laughs> the word uttermost literally means to the fullest, greatest, and most extreme. I want to point this out to you. As believers, we are saved to the uttermost. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able, also able, to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, Jesus Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for us. That means we are saved to the fullest. We are saved to the greatest and extreme degree. The opposite is true for non-believers. To the greatest degree, they will experience the wrath of God. The most extreme, the furthest. And last but not least, God's glory. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we want to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. I'll wrap it up here, guys. The word have been taken away. That's the idea of being separated, becoming an orphan, basically. Paul says, man, separation from you guys is hurting me. And I, I'm not a parent, but if you were to ask any of your parents, if your dad has gone away on a business trip or your mom, they're thinking about you. When I go on vacation, you guys are on my mind. You guys are on my heart. I'm thinking about you and I can't wait to come back on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night and spend it with you because this is my highlight of my week. Not because my life is boring, <laughs> but because I enjoy being here with all of you. Paul says, I eagerly desire to see your face. And that's the heart of God. 
Did you know God can't wait to have you in heaven for all of eternity? He can't wait to spend the next thousands and thousands and millions of years with you. He can't wait to see your face unhindered by sin and that you can gaze on him with all the fullness. He wants that for us. He says, we tried to come to you multiple times, but Satan hindered us. He put things in our path to block us. In verse 19, Paul looks ahead by faith to his friends being presented in the presence of Jesus in his glory. Paul basically said, the day where I stand before God, I'm going to present you as part of my faithful ministry because you guys are my reward. You are what I take pleasure in. You are my crown and joy. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my beloved, beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. He says, I love you guys so much. That's his heart. My sophomore year of high school uh, was my last camp because we canceled camps for a long time. But I'll never forget it. We had white sweatshirts, which is terrible. And the theme was walk in truth. And it came from 3 John verse 4. There's only one chapter. And it says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Did you know for me, there's no greater joy than to see you junior hires worship Jesus, to get into God's word, to pray for one another, to share the gospel with non-believers to continue on with Jesus Christ into the high school ministry and beyond that into adulthood, into college. That brings me pleasure. That brings me joy, honestly. But the opposite is true. The thing that causes me the most amount of pain, the thing that hurts deep down and grieves my soul is when I see junior hires fall through the cracks and they said oh I don't want to go to high school because it's boring or all these dumb excuses and all of a sudden their desire for church decreases their desire for God decreases and all of a sudden they stop valuing church they stop valuing the gospel and they start to drift away they start living with their boyfriends and their girlfriends they start doing drugs they start doing any sinful thing they can get a hold of to fill that void in their hearts, realizing that Jesus is the only one that can. It bothers me because I see them on Instagram because people forget that I'm their friends. <laughs> and I see them and my heart breaks. And I've wept over several of them. It's sad. Can I encourage you? In the midst of suffering, follow Jesus. Just like these new believers in Thessalonica. They were not even Christians for a year and they were experiencing persecution and they didn't throw in the tattle, towel, tattle, the towel. <laughs> they didn't give up in that moment. They persevered. In the midst of suffering or in the midst of life's problems, let's look to God's word to receive those promises. Let's look to other believers to lift us up, to bear those burdens with us and encourage us. But most importantly, let's look to the future. 
You know why? Because the future is the source of our hope. Is that one day we are going to be with Jesus and be with him for all of eternity. And I want to end on this last verse, which I love. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not lose hearts. Do not word lose heart. It says don't get discouraged. When you're going through the life, do not get discouraged. Don't give up. He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, have you guys seen the old-fashioned um, scales? There's like two sides and there's like a triangle and he goes, you guys know what I'm talking about? Those old-fashioned scales, this is what Paul is doing. He's placing the scale in front of you. He says, I want you to take all the sufferings that you will ever experience in your life and put it on one side. And you do, and it hits the floor. And he says, I want you now to take the glory of God that you will see in heaven and put it on the other side. And when you drop that in comparison, it will literally break the scale It'll smash through the floor. And if you're on a two-story building, it's going to go through the floor because it's so heavy. He says, your pain that you are experiencing is light as a feather. In the comparison, the glory. Did you know the word glory? Actually, it literally means there's this weight involved. There's the majesty, the brightness. There's this weight involved into God's glory. That when, it's, when you see it, you will fall down. And that's why that one song, I can only imagine what I'm going to do when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Am I going to dance? Am I going to sing? Am I going to fall down to my knees? Because of the weight of God's presence and his love that is overwhelming. Literally, his eyes staring into your soul and seeing your entire being. That should be our motivation to continue to press on, to press in, because it's going to be worth it. And honestly, the you, when you get to heaven, you're going to see like, dang it, I wish I would have given more for Jesus. I wish I wouldn't have cared about all the junior hires' opinions and the drama that's taking place. I wish I would have lived more for Jesus, because you're going to see how things truly are. And your perceptions of reality right now aren't what it should be. And it's not what is really real. Look to the glory of God. Moses asked, Lord, can I see your face? He says, no, because you will die for my awesomeness. You and I need a new body and able, that is able to retain and receive the glory of God. That's how sinful we are messed up. And that's how holy and incredible our God is. Let's look to the glory of God. Let's have the long view. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you gotta pace yourself. There's sometimes you gotta walk, there's sometimes you gotta jog. It's hardly ever a sprint. But give it all for Jesus.